I can't remember your name, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, I think of you as Wisconsin. But. Uh, I, too, had uh, a remarkable, for me, experience of uh, yesterday morning of, uh, in the uh, meditation, to feel that uh, what we were moving toward, it, the uh, sharpness of attention, the tuning, the awareness to be with what is, uh, was something that I was doing with everybody else, and we were helping each other, and I had the visual and physical sensation of being a, like a, a cell or a barnacle or something in a sponge opening, and I could look across the surface and see all the rest of you as uh, other cells and globules or something in the sponge, and that we were all doing this together in a common effort that was made possible by our mutual support. Before that was actually it's almost a f- physical, visual sense, uh, more than just nice words. So uh, we're well into seeing with new eyes in the spiral, and this afternoon uh, you've been doing this. Uh, the uh, sky of mind ushers us into a generosity of being uh, in a time when it's so easy to shrink back and close down and isolate. And uh, I see the political, military, economic events of our time as uh, moving to create the feeling of isolation. Uh, we're lonely people. Uh, so um, the seeing with new eyes, uh, as I experience it, is, is seeing into our uh, interexistence, among other things. And um, what I would like to do right now is to uh, tell you three stories uh, about how we shape the world by our perceptions. And these are three stories that are very current about um, what our world is like now. There are three views of reality of this time. Uh, One is the... uh, business as usual, one is the great unraveling, and the third is the great turning. Well, the story, and they're all true. Um, And the one that most people believe in, it seems, judging by the, the power holders in government and industry and military, and that's which shapes our monetary and economic and social policies and certainly imperial policies uh, is 
uh, that um, of the uh, business as usual, that uh, our way of life in the States is, and in the wealthy Western industrialized countries, is the way it should go. And we just, all we need to do is to, we don't need to change our values or our lifestyle, but we just need to grow because that's the name of the game in uh, our political economy. It's an industrial growth society. That's a term that I find so useful. I borrowed it from a Norwegian <coughs> deep ecologist called Sigmund Kvaloi. And um, so it's familiar to us. And you really have to sort of um, spout this story if you want to get elected uh, or get clearance for handling classified information or be trusted as a CEO or what have you. Um, it seems the belief in that story is a way to power as it's seen and perceived now. So that's one story. I think most... Then the second is maybe the uh, second in quantity of people who are perceiving it and it's shaping their view of reality is the story of the uh, great unraveling, which is like when you sort of peel, look under the carpet or peel back the edges of the business as usual, you see the cost see what it's uh, doing to our world. And uh, the costs are huge. And you're, we've evoked them here about greenhouse emissions and climate chaos and mass extinction of species and contamination of land and air and water and soil and uh, huge disparities of... Uh, Wealth and poverty and hunger and uh, that it that story was being being spoken very loud in the truth bundle. It seems don't didn't you hear it there? Uh, and it's really happening. Um, the term the great unraveling is a term uh, of David Corton the. Uh, economist who also wrote the book about the next story, The Great Turning. And uh, I think that that's, I like that term because that's what happens to uh, open interrelated systems, whether they're uh, suborganic or organic, biological, social, ecological, is that uh, the relations fray the channels of support and communication and currents of information. Uh, and someone in the truth mandala was talking about when is the point where a species is lost and the whole, uh, that whole ecosystem goes. You know, there's this feeling of... So our, our, it's in our bodies, too. We're feeling this second story of the great unraveling 
And uh, it seems that it's the scientists uh, that uh, see that story, uh, see reality in terms of that story, and many activists. And it's... uh, um, really wrenches my heart to see how much people care about life when they keep on acting and in spite of burnout, exhaustion, when all they see is the great unraveling. It's a noble and desperate and heartbreaking uh, sight, don't you think? Uh, Fortunately, there's another third story and that's I'm going to want to unpack that more, which is the uh, story of the Great Turning. And by that, um, it's a term that's gotten attached to something that's happening, which is the transition from the industrial growth society uh, to a life-sustaining society. And... Uh, I'd like to draw it up for you because I want to draw some ways that we can recognize it and recognize it in um, our lives and see it as a frame, as the context of our uh, life in all its aspects. And it has been so... I'd say that the... uh, People who see the great turning are those who really see what the uh, industrial growth business as usual is doing, recognize the great unraveling, and don't want that second story to have the last word. I hope I'm putting it in a way that I've come to see it's not about which story's right, because they're all right. It's about uh, which one you want to get behind? I remember you saying that it was like a funeral or a birth, and we didn't yes. know which one, but it requires the same level of attention. Yeah. And that, that helps me because... I uh, let's just give... That's so beautiful what you're saying, Megan. I want everybody to hear you. I just remember you saying this maybe seven or eight years ago when I first met you, that um, we don't know how, what, what's going to happen. So this isn't some sense of um, false hope. It's You said it like... Um, oh, well, if I thought when you were just quoting me, yeah, I would have given Yeah, I was just quoting you. I wanted you to say it again. <laughs> you, and maybe you don't remember, yeah. but the part about it's either a funeral or a birth for some being that we care about more than anything. And so it requires the same level of um, presence and attention and love, regardless of whether it's a funeral or a birth. And I heard that from my daughter, Peggy, who is a social worker at Children's Hospital, who works with families with children with HIV and AIDS. And she's also... Uh, been invited to assist at births by a few of her friends to be present and uh, with a dying child not that there's so many now with the medicines but uh, that quality 
of mystery and rapt attention. And it's like it's something sacred happening. Uh, either, either way, you don't know. But it takes everything, every ounce of your uh, attention. Thank Did you, you want to say something? No. I've just got to see. All right, I'm going to, oops, help. A little help here. Wait a minute. There, I had to twist it. It's been so uh, important for me. And folks around me to have this lens of this third story to see what's happening. So I'd like to just draw it for you. Come here. I guess I'll move it over here. Okay. Okay. So, uh, we're talking about a transition that is underway, that is the actuality between the current political economy, which I like to call, as I mentioned, the Industrial Growth Society, and a life-sustaining society. And this is also called by David Corton, who coined the term the great unraveling, a suicide economy. Because of this term, this is the operative term, growth. Growth in what? Wisdom, health, longevity, creativity, what? For why? Just to get fat or because of you're, you're hounded and pushed? And cajoled to consume because that brings money in the coffers. So it's growth. And whose money? Not yours. Uh, <clears throat> not the public employees in Madden in Wisconsin, but the corporate profits. So from the system's point of view, it's really interesting. Once in a system you try to maximize one variable, in this case, corporate profits, the whole thing goes off balance. You cannot keep all open systems, biological and any kind, have to stay in balance. And if you try to, if one is trumped over all the, is the trump card over all the others, 
in every situation, that has to come on top. Then the system goes into runaway, as it's called, and uh, is out of control. And if not brought under control, heads, uh, it's in overshoot beyond its resources and it heads into collapse. So that's what, you know, you could fill libraries with books that are pointing that out about our growth mania. And, uh, but it can't be said publicly very clearly without you being called a communist. I was talking about this at Naropa University uh, two weeks ago, and the teacher told me that this, there was a student afterwards who came and wondered why they'd invited a communist to come and teach. So watch out. So because of this a dynamic, so it's not, you know, there's evil for the um, corporations to come out on top of it. And it's particularly true of what happened, you know, January of last year with the Supreme Court decision of Citizens United. And <clears throat> so, uh, but what that does, what costs, um, what color shall I have for the great unraveling? Um, Red? That's too healthy. What about brown? That's dirt. Uh, what about... Yellow. Yellow? Okay. I'm yellow. What? You can't see it. All right. Let's see. Blue. Oh, yes. At any rate, it's orange. All right, there's the great unraveling. I'll write it. And <laughs> um, so uh, what I... Let's see, what do I want to say? I want to say, I have to be, I really want to talk very little now because there's such a juicy process for you. So let me see if I can be brief. <clears throat> Many social thinkers today uh, are seeing this transition as a revolution of such magnitude of such scope that they see it of, uh, comparable to the first two revolutions of our human journey that we know about. The one 10,000 years ago where we settled down and cultivated, and we call that the agricultural revolution. And then the next one, that changed everything. Did you notice that moving along last night? That changes everything. Our, what we think we need, who we think we are, our relations with each other. <clears throat> and um, then a bunch later, just 300 years ago, thereabouts, in England, the uh, next revolution of comparable magnitude and scope uh, got underway. 
with the uh, machine and the uh, mining and manufacture the mines and the mills that that permitted. And we called that the Industrial Industrial Revolution. And uh, they um, thinkers today recognize that what is going on now is of uh, they call it the third revolution, equally uh, history changing, changing everything uh, as the other two. The first one that I know who spoke of this was Williams Ruck- William Ruckelshaus, who was the first director of the Environmental Protection Agency. And he spoke of these three, and he says, uh, and the first one took uh, gener- uh, centuries, and the second revolution took generations. But this one will have to happen in a few years, and the big what he really stressed, it will have to be conscious, chosen. So that's something to think about. And they call it sometimes the ecological revolution, sustainability revolution. And uh, some of us just get in the habit of calling it the great turning. And uh, so I'm going to write that up here. Oh, but I can't write this. I don't have all the beautiful choices of colors, but you can imagine them. Now, the thing about the great turning, one of the things about it is that uh, it is not in the evening news and the headlines and um, corporate-controlled media are not interested in reporting the progress of the demolition of their rule. (laughs) um, So you have to know how to look. And uh, for one thing, as, uh, so if, sometimes I think if I, if I could just do one thing in my workshops, I'd give people glasses they could put on and see the great turning. Um, but since I, as sort of, I'm going to give you kind of glasses right now, is uh, a lens by which to see uh, areas, dimensions of the great turning uh, that you can help you recognize it. Uh, one is the most visible, perhaps, are uh, those actions that we think of as activism. Uh, and those are um, actions and behaviors to slow down the destruction of the um, industrial growth society or business as usual. So um, these are the most trying, the most difficult. You know, you go out to uh, demonstrate uh, against the war. You This is all the legal, legislative, regulatory activities to slow down this destruction. Uh, this is all the <coughs> uh, work for um, uh, 
uh, a basic uh, living wage and for uh, shelters, uh, um, low-income housing, uh, shelters and soup kitchens to slow down the destruction of people as well as other species. Today, so we... uh, We've come to call these holding actions because they're slow down the destruction, but they're not enough to make the great turning happen. And they, uh, but they're very important. It's like a tourniquet. Um, in Germany, they call these Rettungsaktionen, sort of uh, rescue actions or first aid. This morning, out at Lawrence Livermore Nuclear Laboratory, there were people there at dawn uh, holding a Good Friday vigil and some of them crossing the line in civil disobedience to protest the design and manufacture of nuclear weapons. This is the part. They're part of the great turning. We've all, you know, even if you just write a a check to support uh, Greenpeace or Friends of Earth or something, this is what you're doing. They're working to, for the legislation or for the regulations that will slow down our destruction. So this is really important. It saves lives. It saves species. Sometimes, and it sometimes saves some of the gene pool for the life-sustaining society. But it's not enough because a new culture, civilization, requires new structures, new ways of doing things. And so that's this whole uh, dimension here. And we call these uh, new, but sometimes they're old, Structures, ways of doing things. We can call them alternative. That's kind of a boring word. Somebody suggested recently we could just call them Gaian. Gaian for Gaia. Gaia is the name that has been given to our planet in, uh, with Gaia theory from science and bringing in the mythic dimension, because that was the name of the goddess of Earth. So uh, here in this area, uh, this is just hugely uh, new forms of ways of holding the Earth, holding land in contrast to private property. Land trusts, eco-villages, and building houses, living together, co-housing. This is uh, forms of cooperatives, um, alternative community currencies, new ways of measuring wealth and prosperity, new ways of administering uh, justice, alternatives to uh, courts and prisons and restorative justice movements. So there's just uh, new ways of, and old ways of growing food, 
uh, new ways of distributing food without the uh, middle persons <laughs> within farmers' markets and the like. New ways of generating energy and alternatives to fossil fuel. I think there's probably been no time in history that I know of that, um, and I've looked, that have so many, and I, my fingers go like this because they're sprouting up, so many new ways uh, of, in this sort of fountain of creativity, new ways of organizing our lives and doing things. If you, uh, we tend to think of them as marginal sometimes. But those are the seeds of a, a life-sustaining culture. Some of them coming together in big movements now, like the Transition Town Movement. How many of you involved in that way or another? Yeah. Pardon? Transition Town. Oh, you're going to have fun learning about that. Oh, Debbie, you just hurry home. Look it up. Or get us to talk, talk, tell her about it. But at any rate, this is, it started out uh, in a town in Ireland with what they call the Energy Descent Plan. Look, we're faced with oil depletion, oil, peak oil, oil scarcity, climate change. Is there a way that we can live and plan so this isn't just bad news? Is there some quality of life that our, uh, is available for us to discover and organize that is more rewarding than running around in smog-producing cars and being slaves to uh, industrial products and mechanisms? So this is caught on very well. As a matter of fact, anyway... So, uh, this is very exciting, and you can look for it. Sometimes you look for in the alternative um, press. There's a lot on the web. So, this is very heartening. It's almost a full-time job. It is, to just to begin to keep up with what people are inventing and doing with such adorable ingenuity sometimes. It's just, <laughs> ah. And it must be said that this alone will not save us. This alone will not make the revolution because these structures and organizations will shrivel and die unless they're deeply rooted in our values and how we see our world and what we think we are. Our basic apprehensions of uh, the nature of existence and of who and what we are. In other words, uh, a shift in consciousness Now, this shift in consciousness is not more important than the other areas of the great turning, but it's just as important. 
As a matter of fact, I drew these here in a kind of cycle because they're mutually supporting. They're not sequential. You can get involved here and suddenly pop over here. Remember what happened to Julia Butterfly Hill? Anybody remember her? So she did a holding action. She was going to save one tree. And she got up there. She was going to go for two weeks. She ended up living on a platform, not touching the ground for over two years. She saved the tree, but she also became a student of the tree. She became a daughter of the tree. And she uh, became uh, the voice of the tree and the trees. And thanks to cell phone technologies and radio shows, she helped thousands of people in a shift of consciousness. So you can watch out what will happen to you when you get involved because suddenly, boom, you're not quite who you were. And one of the things that is central, maybe, in this shift of consciousness, it's nice to mention this on Earth Day, is the, I think it's central, the recognition that our Earth is uh, more than a, a stockpile in a sewer, which is the way the industrial growth society sees the Earth. But it is a living system, a living being. And everything we know and have and are and have learned derive from that. So yes, you're right. We call her a great mother. We also uh, see the earth then as the ancient ones did, as a sacred being. Because we don't know anything that hasn't been given to us from her. And when you walked with the ancestors last night in those early days, you walked with that knowledge of being mystically participating, I like participation mystique, in a living earth that was sacred to you. So this is the just breathtaking development now in our time. Sometimes we, I want you to be astonished by this. I want you to just, well, gasp. (gasps) Imagine, we are alive at a time and through no special individual personal virtue of ours, no piety or nobility, we happen to be alive at a time, maybe we've just been prepared by four billion years of being, of life on earth, uh, that at a time when these huge cognitive, scientific, perceptual, and spiritual revolution is happening. It's happening in the sciences, as we're gathering from West, in system science, quantum science, chaos theory, quantum theory. It's, um, and it's, the ancient voices are returning from the spiritual traditions and the earth wisdom traditions. You can see I'm kind of excited about it. I'm trying to keep my voice from getting too high. So there's a great train. Take it or leave it. Yeah, so the new story is part of this um, revolution in consciousness that we see our 
um, the universe, the journey of the universe, another new film is being premiered next week, Brian Swim and using Thomas Berry's work. And in every tradition, there are, um, religious tradition, there's a current that, uh, in it that, that um, is seeing this uh, centrality of um, earth wisdom, earth sacredness. So I mentioned Matthew Fox this morning, his creation spirituality, uh, the Sufi way in Islam, the Jewish renewal movement, so many aspects of it are just thrilling. Lynn. I was just thinking, too, of a guy named, I think it's David Green, who uh, has this idea about string theory. And he was, I don't know, you know, much about it or whether it's really going to hold up. But he said that what we've got are not universes. We've got multiverses. And that's a whole new thing. Yeah. It's a good thing that we are, um, you know, what this amounts to is a kind of falling in love with uh, creation, with the with the world, uh, and this is undergirds those two. V- you know, ways of imaging, world is lover, world is self. And part one way in the shift in consciousness of um, working here is in addition to the indigenous traditions, the deep ecology, and a way of seeing yourself and and extending your uh, perceptions uh, just the way uh, Michael was so beautifully expressing it. The way he spoke of internalizing the uh, beautiful relations of the landscape he saw. This, I believe that this is work we have to do. It's delicious work. But we are shaping a new awareness that can help us uh, in make the changes and endure the hardships that are involved in uh, bringing life through the great unraveling. It's almost like a, a, a deductive, you know, you can reason your way through it and get to that understanding. And then from the spiritual tradition, you have the, um, you know, the great perfection and quotes like Khalil Rinpoche's famous quote, 
uh, we live in illusion and the appearance of things. There's one reality. We are that reality. When you understand that, you realize that we are no thing. Being no thing, we are everything. That is all. And I'm just wondering about the dialogue between these two, mm -hmm. you know, how that could be. Well, you know, what's great about this is that there are, and you're quoting Kalu Rinpoche and so forth, there's so many ways of imaging uh, this new participatory, um, conscious participation in the universe. And there isn't one right way. You don't have to argue, well, my Sufi master has the last word, or my uh, creation spirituality priest has the right way where there's a great, delightful conversation going on. So each is, it's like a banquet. And this banquet we come to, there are wonderful dishes for us to eat from so many different traditions. And we can just shake off the uh, old parochial attitudes that uh, my way has to be right, or I have to, I'm just looking at the time, um, I would like to, uh, you know enough now to know what I mean when I say the great turning. We're going to do a process that I love, and uh, it's called the seventh generation, and some of you have done it, and I want, you, I want it to be part of our retreat. So how quick can you use the loo and be back here? Five minutes? All right. Be back in five minutes. Uh, yes, please move the chairs and mats back. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate